Hello, fellow nerds, and welcome to another episode of the Modern Health Nerd Podcast, where every week we bring you fascinating conversations with the movers, shakers, and innovators in food, health, agriculture, and everywhere in between. I'm your host, Teresa Sam Houghton, Chief Nerd at the Modern Health Nerd. Today, I'm bringing you something a little different on the Modern Health Nerd podcast that is extremely important to the plant-based space. I'm talking with Chirag Sabunani, founder of Supplant Foods in India. Supplant Foods is supporting the plant-based movement by creating high-quality protein ingredients that can be used in plant-based foods and a variety of other foods, including bakery items and pastas. Their focus is on the chickpea, particularly chickpea flour. But this isn't the chickpea flour that you think of when you're mixing up your own plant-based omelet at home. This chickpea flour has been through Supplant's particular process to make it as functional as possible for a variety of food applications. Chirag explains it a lot better than I can, so I'm just going to let him take the stage from here. We had a really great conversation about what Supplant is doing, where the plant-based movement needs to move forward from here, and where the current products on the market need to improve in order to reach more people. If you enjoy our conversation, please like this episode, give the podcast a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform, and share it with your friends. Or if you're in the plant-based space, share it with someone who's looking for some good ingredients for their next formulation. It just might be the thing you're looking for to get that right flavor or texture, which as we talk about in the podcast, is all important in the plant-based space. And now, my conversation with Chirag Sabunani. Well, Chirag, welcome to the podcast, and thanks for joining me today. It's a pleasure to be here, Teresa. Thanks so much for having me. Why don't you introduce yourself and let our listeners know what you're doing at Supplant and a little bit about what inspired you to get started with the company. Absolutely. So... Like I said, thanks so much for giving us a chance to, to chat with you over here today. Um, Supplant is all about great tasting or bland tasting, highly functional plant-based ingredients for uh, the transformation of the food industry as it's happening, right? Everyone's moving towards more good for you ingredients, more plant-based ingredients and things that not only achieve those goals, but are also non-allergenic, they taste good, and they also make formulators' lives easier. And Supplant is all about that. So those are a few tall uh, things to combine in terms of making ingredients, right? But we realized that the chickpea could be the first ingredient where we could achieve chickpea flour, which is completely flavorless, highly functional and affordable. And as you know, as I described earlier, there's a bunch of different things we look to achieve. But coming from India, it's really important that for plant based to become more mainstream, we also have affordable ingredients because there's a lot of the world which cannot afford highbrow expensive uh, products. And in order to make things more affordable in terms of products, we need more affordable ingredients. And that's what we've tried to achieve over here. So in terms of affordability, what are you looking at? I go around here in the US and I see a real range of different prices. Obviously you have things that are traditional like tofu that doesn't cost very much. And then you have the things like the Beyond and these other really, they're not quite as novel anymore, but there's still a lot of new novel products coming out. And like you said, those are way more on the high end. It's not something that has ever really attracted my attention because I've been whole food plant-based for a long time. But if it would, uh, even for me, that would make me pause. So how are you looking to bring the price point down? 
I think there there are a couple of fundamental approaches to this, right? And and to clarify what we really mean over here is, if somebody wants to have a plant-based ice cream, right? Uh, and I think that's a good place to start. Ice cream is an indulgent food, but in order to create the structures of ice cream, one really needs to have sufficient um, sufficient bonding, gelling, and quote-unquote structure in the product in order to achieve that. Now, very often people either go in the direction of really, you know, just bland starches, bland in terms of their flavor and in, in terms of the nutrition profile, but also the other extreme is people go for protein isolates to get enough of that protein structure bonding. And what we said is when people go for starches, it's the really, you know, it's the worst option in terms of health. When people go for protein isolates, it's pretty expensive. Is there a way to augment the functionality of flours, which are out there, which nature has given us through, um, you know, just the traditional process being grinding, but our process being applying some smart science to it. But instead of going all the way to protein isolation, can we take the protein that's within the product itself, the product that nature has given us and really give it that functionality? So we've got customers that are making plant-based ice creams using chickpea flour, which, you know, one would think chickpea flour, wait, doesn't that have a strong beanie flavor? And, you know, chickpea flour in general isn't particularly functional. But like I said, what we've done is We've made it flavorless. We've reduced a lot of the color. So now you can make vanilla ice cream out of it, which looks like vanilla, tastes like vanilla, and also has a lot of the, the function that formulators are looking for. So we've got great emulsions in there. It forms really good gels, and it also has good foaming capability, which maybe not what you're looking for in ice cream, but it is an additional function that can be activated if people desire. So fundamentally, we've gone from saying, hey, we need to have protein ice in order to make anything to, hey, we can work with really good functional flours where the target for protein doesn't have to be 90%. So I think that's the first way we've tackled the issue. The second way we've tackled it is when we look at some of the, the protein sources that are out there, which hit our criteria, right? And one of them being non-allergenicity, we can't really consider things like soy. But when we look at highly functional proteins, we're talking about things like potato and potato is, you know, the potato proteins on the market are pretty expensive. So what we've said is, can we use again, some smart science where the processing costs may be a bit higher, but can we start with materials which have a higher protein content, but for some reason or the other, whether it is their locked function within the natural biochemical uh, structures that exist or bad flavor, can we take those proteins and introduce them into the market by solving whatever's holding them back? Again, is it a blocked biochemical structure which pre prevents the protein from having functionality or is it bad flavor for which we have a deflavoring technology that we've pioneered? So since, we, since we've done this, we're looking at bringing the cost of functional protein proteins down a lot. And these would be isolates as well, which then allow formulators to say, hey, I'm trying to replace, I don't know, eggs in a cake, and I can use this as an affordable alternative rather than having to rely on potato protein, which is particularly expensive. So I, I think these are, the, you know, it's an important component in allowing plant-based to scale. It has to be affordable for people, like you said. And how does the nutrition stack up? I know you said that the isolates obviously are the ones that are super high protein. And that's still, despite all evidence to the contrary, 
of it being necessary to load up on protein, it's still a very big focus for people, especially people like myself who have specific fitness goals, who have specific health goals. What is the comparison with what you're doing in terms of not just the protein, but the whole nutritional profile? Yeah, I I think as we look at it, so there are a couple of pointers out there, right? I mean, first of all, the, the health authorities are now beginning to find that people are not deficient in protein. They have too much protein uh, in their diets. What's actually missing is fiber. And when we look at things, we like to say that people should have a balance in whatever they're consuming, right? So it would be wonderful if when you wanted to have potato chips, you can have potato chips, which actually have some protein in them, but aren't, you know, it's, it's still a starch heavy snack, but you can actually get some protein in there. So you don't have to really compensate on protein in other places, but also that a person should have a decent amount of fiber and resistant starch in their diet. And what we've done with the chickpea is with the chickpea flour is exactly that, right? I mean, it's an ingredient which is typically used between five and 15% in a formulation as a result of which it does its role in terms of providing function, but you're not really eating it because it's, you know, rich in protein, you're eating it because it's a functional ingredient that has a good nutritional balance. Now, let's say you want to have potato chips or extruded puffs, right, made from this chickpea flour. It's great, you can do that. But you want a protein fortify, you can go ahead with an isolate over there as well. I just think that, you know, we need to give people a baseline, which is really beneficial as opposed to, oh, the baseline is a tapioca or a potato starch, and then we're going to add an isolate to it, right? One processed ingredient, highly processed ingredient where we've ripped everything out. We've ripped the fiber out. We've ripped the protein out. We've ripped the oils out. And the other ingredient where we ripped the starch out, the oils out and the fiber out. Instead of that, if we can minimally process to have good baseline ingredients, which provide a template or a scaffold on which we can then add the other things we're looking for, right? I think that's what what we're trying to do over here. And we're trying to make the scaffold a highly functional one so that formulators and companies and consumers in turn can benefit from the fact that they're not either struggling with bad flavors or they're thinking, okay, how do I get these other functionalities? So I have to add three more ingredients to the ingredient deck, some of which are not clean label. And that just defeats my purpose of of clean, healthy eating. I don't know if that answered your question or not. I think so. I'm seeing what you're saying. So it sounds like it provides the benefit in the fact that it does have some function, but as well, it does help to balance things out a little bit nutritionally and also allows people to move toward that cleaner label, which I think will probably be, in my estimation, needs to be the next area of focus for plant protein. So how would you say, in the context of all that, what you're doing is contributing to improving food and the food landscape as we're moving more toward, hopefully, heavier emphasis on plant-based in the majority of people's lives? I would start, I would say that there are a few key areas we would look at this, right? Let's start at the fields and the growers. By working with something like chickpeas, where um, it's a nitrogen fixing item and requires, you know, little to no fertilizer, right? So that's the first thing that we're doing. We're actually helping soil by, by targeting something like chickpeas or beans or lentils, which is kind of our focus, right? So we're starting there. Then farmers get a higher, uh, they, they get rewarded more for growing things like chickpeas. So that's another benefit. We're helping that part of the stakeholder chain by doing what we're doing. 
the next part is we're minimally processing. It's not that it's not processed, but it's smart science as opposed to just ripping things out and, and you know offering the market what's left. We're not taking six kilos and making one kilo. We're basically taking one kilo and making about 800 grams because we're reducing some of the moisture in the oil and we're, we're recalibrating some of the, the biochemical arrangements in order to augment functionality. As we're doing this, we're also processing minimally. So the impact on the environment in terms of our processing is, is minimal. So a lot of this caters to the sustainability angle. And then once we get towards um, formulators, food manufacturers, customers, we're finding that people are happy about the fact that they don't have to rely on more expensive ingredients. It's a pretty robust uh, function that we're offering. And it has that that good for you feel to it, right? I mean, I think people do feel from their own life experience satisfied when they eat a product that contains chickpeas because it makes you feel full, right? Protein in general makes you feel full, but there are certain foods which also help you feel that way, even though they may be a little bit lower than a protein isolate. And so that's how we're looking at catering to this. And as we've discussed, you know, we're, we're providing formulators the ability to use more sustainable, cleaner label ingredients, simplify ingredient decks, and really create more functions. Only are we going to replicate or replace the, the function and role of a whey protein concentrate or eggs in our food, but we're also going to go beyond, right? We're not going to stop over here. We're going to find oh, heck, you know, this thing can foam two times more than dairy proteins or egg proteins. So you know what? We can now create something that never existed before. Heck, my emulsions are holding so much better. So now I can try new things, right? And we've already seen some of that with uh, soy whipped cream. But again, soy being an allergen is something that we don't want to go towards. And consumer trends are definitely not in that direction. But soy whipped cream really changed how whipped cream was offered in the market. And so as we come up with more clean label alternatives, which are affordable, we're going to see much more of this, this trend. And we will, we, we will find that our foods are going to become tastier, more nutritious, and more affordable. And that's what, we're, what we are trying to contribute towards. It sounds like you got it covered all along the supply chain. Well, we're trying to make that happen. And something that you said kind of stood out to me because another place where I'm like, I always say I get on my soapbox is the food waste. It sounds like you're really minimizing that with your process. How does that compare in what you're doing versus maybe a more traditional isolate type process? Let's start with the isolates, right? By definition, when companies are making isolates, they are removing starches, oils, fibers, and everything else that, you know, would be inhibitory to the isolate. Um, and then companies have to decide what they want to do with it. So if we look at the world of P isolates right now, which is, you know, the, the, the buzz at the moment, whole world is swimming in P starch because P isolates are in demand and companies are, are taking P protein out. But what about all the starch? We've got the world swimming in pea starch, not knowing what to do with it, right? And so when we decided to approach both flours and also the, the range of protein isolates that we're developing, we're very clear about it, right? We don't just want to be a patsy to the market conditions as they stand. We definitely wanted to see how we become truly more sustainable and support the ecosystem truly. So that's why the flour where, you know, 
we have minimal wastage. We, for instance, in our process, we take the oils out, right? That's part of our process. And chickpea oil is fantastic. It's 65% alpha linoleic acid, which, you know, it it's, becomes a supplement. So, so that's where we're really trying to maximize what we're able to do with chickpeas, which is also why chickpeas, or, you know, it's a function of the fact that chickpeas are awesome. But we are definitely keen to see how we can utilize every little bit that comes out of natural crop, right? Um, and that's going to be important because as demand for, and I'm looking ahead over here, but as demand for animal agriculture goes down, the need for cattle feed and animal feed also reduces. So the dumping ground for a lot of waste material, which was animal feed, suddenly has lower demand. And all the people that are just producing stuff where they're saying, oh, we'll just dump that towards animal feed, they're not going to have that much of a market. So I think these are important uh, considerations. But for us, yeah, we're definitely trying to maximize um, I can't speak too much about the isolates just because it's ahead of where we're at uh, in terms of launching them. But it's another thing we looked at, right? We basically said, how do we make sure we have minimal wastage? So in our isolates, where we are doing the extraction, some of the material that's left behind is actually, um, you know, if, if processed correctly, they become natural aids to diabetes as opposed to product that you throw away or put into animal feed. So that's where we are looking at, at, at this and saying, we have to find a way to maximize what we're taking out of the earth and do good with it. Because if we don't, we're just, we're, we're creating other problems as we solve one. And I think that that is an issue that a lot of people aren't aware of in the plant-based space. Like you said, I don't think a lot of people know about the fact that there's a lot of waste going on, but at the same time, there are a lot of companies who are trying to look at that and minimize it. I don't know, it always gets me up on my soapbox because I'm like, but all this food, it's going to waste. So it's great to hear that you guys are not only doing what you're doing, but also looking into the future of how you can manage what might come down the pike as you expand your products. Now, you talked about your isolates. Are you also using chickpeas for those? No, we aren't. Because again, we were drawn into the same issue, right? I mean, chickpeas by definition have between, oh, not by definition, by nature, have between 20 to 25% protein. Usually, once you go through the extraction process to get about a kilo of protein, you need, you know, five to seven kilos of raw material. And what are you going to do with about four kilos worth of chickpea starch? Chickpea starch is functional. There's no doubt about it. But the whole world is, again, swimming in pea starch. And we don't want it to now start swimming in chickpea starch. So we are looking more at materials which have much higher natural materials, which have much higher protein content. Uh, and for instance, like I said, you know, either their protein function is entirely inhibited or they really taste and smell bad. And so they've never been considered for human nutrition. They've always gone towards animal nutrition. And so we're taking those materials and actually converting them into high quality proteins because we've developed the technology to do that. I'll be really interested to see how that continues to grow for you because I'm watching the novel protein market with a great deal of interest, uh, which actually leads me into my next question. What do you feel needs to be the next big focus area in this whole future of food movement? Because it sounds like you're doing some pretty unique things within it. And you've already touched a little bit on managing the waste and unlocking better functionality and better taste for unused proteins. 
where would you personally like to focus next and where do you think the whole movement should focus next? Sure. If we're talking simply about, you know, the, the movement of the protein space as we as we look at it, I'm with you, right? We need to move more towards plant-based or cell culture. We need to have cleaner labels. Um, and so that's a really important part. That's the first part. Within the space, I would say, in order to go from where we are to where we want to be, we really need fundamental innovation in the ingredient space. And sometimes the incentives of large companies that have the resources are not aligned because they already have big investments in supply chain for incumbent ingredients. And so their approach is, let's do what we can over there. That's where nimble young companies like ours are needed, where we say, we're not tied in with the same supply chain. Let's do what we can with what nature provides. And of course, the first step over there has been these protein isolates, but now we're finding more intelligent ways of processing with minimal wastage and to see how to augment that. The natural effect is to reduce costs while also providing good ingredients. And so this has to continue. And as we have good base ingredients, there's no shortage of people that want to start CPG brands and put money into CPG brands, but they need the basic ingredients and formulas in order to make those things successful. With all the interest in CPG, we, of course, will come up with new foods. We'll come up with new tasting cheeses. We'll come up with, I don't know, the next kind of milkshake, which may have two, two times the amount of foam, right? I really don't know where that will go because I'm not a chef. Um, we want to provide people the ability to do all of that and then let them play with it. So that's the second component. I think speaking more broadly in terms of human nutrition, I'm glad that there is now this awareness that people need more fiber because we've seen that we've seen people saying fat is bad. Well, now people know that fat is good depending on what kinds of fat you're having, right? So we, we've seen a lot of these opinions change over time, but the fact that people are realizing that fiber is good for you and they're going to consume it, I think is a very positive trend. Uh, and also the fact that people are looking at their nutrition as a whole and realizing that going back to basics in terms of grandmother's recommendations on, you know, take your, take different kinds of botanical extracts is, is a really good thing. Uh, at least for us in India, right? I don't know how much this was prevalent in, in the Western world, but our ancestors, were they were big on things like this. I'm glad the world is moving in that direction, but not with an ad hoc view of, oh, this is good for you, so you should take it, but with grounding in science, saying that you take this, this is what it does for you, and here's how your body will perform better, here's how your mind will perform better. So I'm really happy to see that those transitions are happening. Uh, and I, I view things with a lot of positivity now, as opposed to where are we going? There is a growing awareness of that kind of thing over here, too. There's a lot of growing interest in, I think, medicinal mushrooms. And also, it's funny, one story my mom always tells me is that my grandfather was a big proponent of eating your roughage. And that is what we call today fiber. And as you said, the science is coming out. And the science has probably been out a lot longer than we're aware of of the just the necessity of fiber. So as this is growing as a movement and the awareness is growing, do you see growing awareness among consumers as well as CPG brands? Or is this a place where companies like yours and the companies that you work with in CPG are going to have to do some more education? 
Well, it has been the case where we've had to do a lot of education in the past, but many of that uh, or much of that has come to a pass now because companies are beginning to. So when health authorities start saying, hey, you guys need more fiber, CPG companies start realizing, hey, we can market that if we can do something with it. That's what's happened. The, the lack of realization typically was in the past that people were not aware. Most formulators were not aware of functional fibers, right? Fiber was always viewed at as, hey, you know, you just dump this fiber in there and all fiber is the same. Well, it's not really the case. I mean, you've got soluble fibers, which just sort of dissolve in and don't play much of a functional role. And then you've also got soluble fibers, which are gelling agents. And texture is one of the most important aspects to most products, right? It's one of the most sensory property, most important sensory properties. And so we've got really good uh, functional fibers with some of the companies we work with, and they provide a lot of gelling and texture and mouthfeel into product, which is what CPG companies have now realized is, heck, I can include fiber it doesn't become something that I just dump in there and then figure out how I can balance out my formula so people don't have this, you know, unpleasant fiber on their on their texture on their tongue. But now we've got functional fibers that actually add into the product texture and improve it. And we're able to give people their, their fiber targets as well. An example of this is, you know, we're working with... Uh, multiple plant-based companies as well, which are using some of these functional fibers to increase the moisture retention, the freeze-thaw stability, the bite stability as well, uh, and just the overall smoothness of their plant-based meat products. And they're using functional fibers with this. So that's where I think we're really happy to see that the awareness has all the awareness, the the news and the push that we've done onto the market, the case studies we've shown into the market have really now started to come through in terms of CPG companies, including these fibers and giving customers, you know, stuff that customers are not asking for, realizing that it's good for them. That excites me because one of the things about being whole food plant-based is the fiber. And it's good to see that this is actually an awareness almost throughout the entire process from companies like yours to the CPG brands to the consumer, where it's actually making sense to people that this is something that's going to benefit their health. But at the same time, it sounds like what you're doing is allowing them to also have a product that is not only affordable, but also can even seem somewhat indulgent while they're getting fiber, which is in just vast contrast to what I can remember from old daytime commercials about Metamucil supplements. Yeah, um, it's, we've, we've come a long way from there. And you talked a little bit before about resistant starch. Uh, I'd like to just talk a little bit about that before I ask the big question that I ask everybody. I'm not entirely sure how much the resistant starch thing has gotten out there in the plant-based community, the whole food plant-based community in particular. People are more aware of that because doctors like Joel Furman are, are big on beans and um, Michael Greger's big on beans and the resistant starch being so beneficial for things like uh, diabetes and lowering cholesterol. Is that something that you're also bringing into these CPG brands with your products to allow them to start having that kind of benefit as well? This is not, again, part of Supplan, right? But it's part of the companies that we represent. And my knowledge on resistant starch is limited to type four resistant starch because it's the one which essentially processes through your body like fiber. Of course, there are several types of resistant starch, 
uh, which digest to varying degrees and at varying rates. But type four is essentially the one which goes through your, your system like fiber. And essentially, uh, there, we, we do work with a few folks that are providing this into the market, and it's really popular in the keto space, right? So we work with uh, some formulators out of Denver, Chadwick White in particular, and he is great with this stuff. I mean, he, he really creates alchemy with, oh, he has alchemy in his hands and he's able to create amazing breads and all types of items using type four resistant starch, which mind you, because it works like fiber, doesn't have any function to it. So yeah, I mean, we are bringing it to CPG brands and I think they're really happy with what they're seeing. Of course, there's a certain cost to it and there's a certain processing level to it. Uh, but I, I thought, honestly, resistant starch would be a much bigger thing than it has been. But it looks like it's catching on really quickly because guys like Chadwick are introducing products that consumers actually want. Right. It's not just like here's a bag of resistant starch and works like fiber. Go eat it. Right. Here's an indulgent loaf of bread, which is keto and is made from type four resistant starch. How did that ever happen? Here is a bowl of noodles. Eat it. And, you know, you, you have essentially no calorie load. That's pretty amazing to me. I mean, I just eat a lot of beans, but I'm going to be keeping my eye on the resistant starch thing. I think if it's not a rising trend, it should be because it's so important. And we're going to have to have a bunch of people on and have like a resistant starch conversation at some point or something. So now that we've been talking about trends and things that should be trends here, I always call this the big question. If you had unlimited power and unlimited resources and you could bring about one change in our modern food system, what would it be? End slaughter. I think that's that's the fastest answer I've ever had on this one. <laughs> I just end slaughter. I mean, for me, that's that's one of the, one of my major goals in life, right? Is to, I love meat. I love the taste of meat. I hate the fact that we slaughter animals to feed ourselves. I, I think that it's just, it's a bad design. Um, but it's something that we're all working towards solving, whether we do it through cell ag or whether we do it through plant-based. It's just, you know, ending slaughter is something that I'm happy to see that a lot of people have committed their professional lives and their work towards. And that's definitely something that we're doing as well. I have to agree with you there on the factory farming end, because when I was health coaching, I used to teach classes as well. And I remember when I really started digging deep into the factory farming and started Googling some things that I really regretted Googling after dinner and <laughs> was just learning so much about how awful it is. It's just great to see that there are companies like yours and then the companies that you work with and the CPG brands that you work with starting to look at that and also that being another thing that's coming to into the consumer mindset do you see that as something that is growing in awareness as well i think consumers are definitely wanting to move more towards an ethical system right i i and and i may speak beyond the scope of our our conversation here for the podcast but there definitely has been a rising awareness among people. While, while people say that the internet and social media has connected all of us and is exposing us to a lot of bad stuff because we're not living our lives, I think on the other side, it has contributed towards a general mass awakening in terms of what are we doing on this earth and how we can make a positive impact, whatever that may be for whomever is, is 
coming across that message. And so with that, I think people are much more aware and aligned with issues like climate change and also in terms of the impact that our food and our agriculture systems are having on the earth. I do see that that awareness is there. I I also feel, sadly, that the options at the moment, in my opinion, this is my personal opinion, are still not there. They're close, they're getting closer, and they will exceed, uh, they will they will surpass where uh, the current form of, of traditional agriculture is, but they're still getting there. And once we, we're all working towards getting to that point, right? I mean, when you look at a lot of ingredients out there today, sure, your mayonnaise can be plant-based and it'll be far better than, or just as good as traditional mayonnaise. But your burger, in my opinion, is still not there, right? You still, I mean, I still think that a great beef burger is better than what Beyond and Impossible can produce. Now, will that be the case forever? Probably not. I mean, very soon, I think we're gonna we're gonna go far past the traditional beef burger. But we're we're finding that it's you know there are there are places where we've reached the target and we're exceeding it. But there are most of in most cases we're still behind that target, uh, and we're getting there. I think once we get there and we offer consumers products that are going to be cheaper, just as nutritious, and they're going to taste just as good that's when everyone's just going to like switch over. And I think India is a great crucible for that, right? So India is a market which functions primarily based on taste and price. And then nutrition is a distant third. So the moment you start providing taste profiles and you start providing it at the right price point, consumers will start shifting over. And we're still getting to that point. Well, it sounds like you're right in that category. You mentioned that you are somebody who enjoys meat. It sounds like you're right in that category of the meat reducer, and it makes you kind of a tester almost for making sure that things are getting to that point. It's interesting when you're your own kind of target end consumer almost. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's something where... Um... You're, I'm always trying to reduce meat, but then, you know, I'm also an athlete as well. So then I ask myself, well, what am I going to eat? Right. Uh, and, and so those questions come up because the availability of protein rich plant based items in India is is slim. It's growing, but it's slim. And our ingredients at Supplant mostly get exported to North America and Europe. We have a few companies that are working on things over here. But it's not like we have a vibrant ecosystem of products, right? And I can't take our chickpea flour, for instance, and make everything. And even if I did, like I said, it's 20, it's 20 to 22% protein. So it definitely, you know, the ecosystem needs other ingredients as well, which need to come together. And so when we look at it, and I'm not trying to divert the question to make this a plug, I'm just sharing my own predicament, right? We are definitely part of a bigger puzzle but we're not the, the, the entirety of the puzzle. Well, insofar as you're contributing to it, how can people find out more? How can they connect with you and just learn more about what you're doing or learn more about how you're supporting a move to a plant-based system? We've got a website. It's supplantfoods.com. And then people can just write to me. My my first name, Chirag, at my last name, sabunani.com is, is where I'm at. Um, 
and just reach out. I'd love to connect and chat about what we're doing and how we can help people in their journeys as well. And I'll put all that in the show notes so that people can click through or to send you an email. Uh, thanks for being on the podcast, Jureg. I had a real, it was a really great time talking to you and I'm looking forward to seeing how you continue to contribute to the plant-based ecosystem as you guys grow. Thanks so much, an absolute pleasure. Again, big thanks to Chirag for being on the podcast. I'm looking forward to seeing how Suplant's ingredients could help plant-based foods move forward and hit that right mix of taste and texture to bring in people who maybe aren't quite convinced yet or help those who need something to transition to a plant-based diet. That's where I'm at. I'd always like to see more people transitioning over to a plant-based diet. And if they need that product that hits the nail on the head for a little while while they're making the switch, I'm all for it. And being a nerd, I'm fascinated by these conversations. I hope you enjoyed it as well. Again, if you did, please rate and review the podcast on your favorite podcast platform and let me know what you think. If you have any feedback or there are topics we're not covering that you want to hear on The Modern Health Nerd, shoot me an email at sam at modernhealthnerd.com and I'll get back to you. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you next week with another episode of the Modern Health Nerd Podcast. Until then, stay nerdy. Stay nerdy.